Hello. Howdy. <laughs> have you ever had something very valuable to you? Uh, it didn't necessarily have to have a high monetary value or anything like that, but it was just quite valuable to you. Maybe it was a gift from someone. Maybe it was a, an heirloom from somebody. It didn't really matter what that looks like. But have you have, ever had it stolen? Even if someone borrowed it from you without telling you, there was an immediate feeling of loss. Even if they told you later that they had taken it from you and then brought it back. And it brings a resolve to you that you'll guard that thing of value even more from then on than you ever had before. This should be what happens to us when we hear heresies or false statements made about our faith. Maybe it's something that, that really isn't that far off from what we believe. It, it just misses the mark just by a little bit. But that's how Satan works. He isn't going to come in and, and try to make you to believe uh, something so far off. I mean, it, it's just obvious that it's a lie. No, Satan makes gradual, subtle corrections to what you know to be the truth. And I'll give you a perfect example. I've been wrestling back and forth with this this week. There is supposed to be a new movie coming out about Jesus, okay? Now, I'm not sure about all of the whys and wherefores and all of that. But they're playing Jesus as a lesbian. And Janice, or, uh, Michael Jackson's daughter is the one who is going to be playing Jesus. I mean, What? I, that, that is so ridiculously obvious. We know that to be wrong. We know that to be heretical. And I'm preaching on something else now, but I'm sorry. I, I, I've got to say this. We, we are, they're, they're, they're trying to get people to believe something like this. And the sad thing about it is, people will go watch that movie and they will believe. But you see, these things are so far off. They are so far obvious. This isn't how Satan works. This is beyond even what he would do. He is going to do it the subtle way. That thing that he will say that will, through someone, that will just kind of make you think a little bit. And then you just sort of forget it. But somehow or another, it just seems to sort of stick with you. And it sounds good. This is what he does. He attempts to steal something very valuable to you that you believe to be true. And make it a falsehood. Maybe even something so subtle, you don't have to question it. It, it. It's here that we have, or we should have, a major problem. Things, for instance, that, that make us question what we believe. Might be how long a day is in the Scriptures, like we talked about a few weeks ago, for example. Maybe it's the humanity of the divinity, or the divinity of, of Jesus. It, it usually begins with, researchers have found that such and such had occurred and it was found to be accurate. That ain't any more the truth than nothing. But because an expert said it, it must be true. Maybe it's the subject of our study this morning, the virgin birth. If we fall prey to doubt in even one biblical truth, it opens up the door to doubt in bigger and bigger things. That's why it's important to study the Word. Don't take someone's Word for it. Take the Word and learn for yourself. 
Now, in the grand scheme of things, perhaps arguably for some, the virgin birth is not an issue of or for great debate. In their eyes, it's just not a big deal either way. For some faiths, it's an extremely important issue. Maybe uh, base beliefs are centered on, on Mary and her virginity. In fact, many of the prayers or many of the fundamental understandings of some faiths are based on the importance of Mary and her virginity alone. Is, is it important to us alone? I think it is. The fact that, that Christ's birth to a virgin is fundamental to Christianity. Um, immediately, when we think of the ramifications of the virgin birth, we see the significance of what that announcement made to this young lady of, we think around 13 years of age or thereabouts, what the hell for her? In this day and time, we see young ladies are barely old enough to conceive children getting pregnant. And while even a generation or two ago might have caused an eyebrow to be raised, in this day and time, it's become fairly common, way too common. could be considered one of those truths that we talked about just a bit ago that, that doubt has, has become part of who we are. We just accept it for what it is now. It's not a sin anymore. We just let it go like yesterday's news. For this young girl, Mary, she was betrothed to Joseph. For her, after hearing of her pregnancy, Mary could have been put to death by Joseph if he had so chosen. He could have put her away. In our terminology, we would say that he got a divorce from her. Now, you see, betrothal was about as close to being married as you could get. The marriage bed was one of those things that, that the, the betrothed did not allow, okay? But most everything else, I mean, they could set up housekeeping, they could do all of these things, was, uh, was considered to be okay. And they do, would do this roughly for about a year or so before the actual marriage. That's what betrothal was about. But Joseph was a good man. He obviously loved Mary, so he, he followed through with his betrothal. He was not going to put her away. But don't you know, there had to be a smirk or a smart remark geared toward either Joseph and Mary's uh, behind their backs or, or maybe even to their faces, who knows. But they followed through with what they had been called to do because an angel of the Lord came to them both and told them that what the Lord wanted for and from both of them, even to the point of naming the child. They didn't even have to worry about doing that. But you see, it had to be this way. Number one, prophecy had made it to come to pass this way. And we'll talk about prophecy in just a minute. But, but why did it have to be this way? Was God against them being married before having this child? Well, that's a tough question, but yeah, I, I, think he, I think he was against that, yes. Was it because Mary was pure and chaste? Yeah, I'd say probably so. But it went further than, than either one of those thoughts. You see, if Joseph had been the biological father to Jesus the Christ, it would have meant that God would not have been the father of Jesus Christ. And had that been the case, some of the doubters would have been right. Jesus then would not have been divine. 
he would have fit right into their categories of, of having not been sinless. Uh, of so many other things that, that people attempt to remove the deity of Jesus, God the Son, from Him. And it could have been much more difficult for us to believe in any part of the story of how Jesus was born, thus negating potentially Christ's effectiveness on earth as the Son of God. <clears throat> we do believe, however, that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, as it says in Luke 1, verse 35. The virgin birth, then, is, is what separates Christ from the rest of the history of humanity. All history of humanity. And we know that the prof a prophecy of Jesus' birth began in early in the Scriptures, in Genesis 3, verse 15, where God tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You see, this was not a last-minute helter-skelter plan that God put in place to kind of help His creation out after they messed up. That's not the way it was at all. But notice one other thing. In the words that he gives to the serpent, he says, between you and the woman, not between you and the man here. Even when the plan was in place for the Holy Spirit of God uh, to be the Father of God uh, here upon, uh, God the Son rather, here on earth. Let's be clear on that. God had this well laid out, well before a time even began. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And of course, Emmanuel means God with us. Now, what do we think of when we think of a sign? It generally is designed to make you alert to something, is it not? Beware of something or whatever the case may be. For instance, if we didn't have stop signs, we're going to have some major problems, aren't we? Of course, the way people do now with stop signs, they don't look at them anyway. Red lights either, but that's another sermon. Boy. I have to tell you about some of the things I saw just this week alone that would just make your hair curl. But, of course, many ignore the signs that we are given, no matter what those signs might look like. But if we ignore a stop sign, what can potentially happen to us? Disaster can occur, can it not? Speaking of signs, look at Luke 2, where the angel tells the shepherds in verse 12, this will be a sign unto you. Now, perhaps maybe one of the reasons that signs had to be given concerning the birth of Jesus was because of the ordinary way He came to earth to an ordinary young girl. Look at how often the statement was made, either to the people of Jesus' day or the people of our day, we had to be told that a prophecy had been fulfilled or one had just come to pass. We had to be notified of these things because we don't think about them in that way. Here, an average young person chosen for this special task by God. She was no different than anyone else of that day. Most girls of that time had little to no education except for maybe what she learned from her immediate family or, or something like that. They were seen most of the time as property and, and not much more. Most folks would have not even noticed her. 
except there again, maybe her immediate family, and then there was this one carpenter who kept hanging around, a bit older than he was from all than, than she was from all indications. As a matter of fact, she was no different than you or I. She was no freer from sin than anyone else who had ever been born was, contrary to what many in this world believe. If you think about it, she needed what we all need as well. She needed a Savior too. You might think perhaps it would have been more effective for Jesus to be taken a bit more seriously by the Jews if he had been born to say, oh, I don't know, some queen who was known all over the world, all over the known world anyway, of some major country. But that was not how God wanted it done. He wanted someone exactly like Mary. Now, Mary went on to have children. We know this. It's documented. We hear of them from time to time in the book of Mark, in Acts, and in other places. Look at Matthew 13, 55 and 56. After Jesus had finished preaching in the synagogue for the first time, many who were totally turned off by what Jesus had said even asked this question. Isn't this um, in his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brother's names Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't his sisters all with us? So he had family. That's documented. Yet they too were no different than anyone else who ever was or ever will be born. But notice as well, one thing Mary had that might have narrowed the field down for the choice of becoming the mother of the Son of, of God, the Son, Jesus Christ. Don't you know that she asked herself on more than one occasion, why me? Maybe positively and maybe negatively. I mean, we've already looked at it from several viewpoints, but we saw the potential problems that she could have had with, with Joseph. Surely the other women of the community would have, would have cast her out. To that end, Joseph's reputation could have taken a very large hit if he stayed with Mary, perhaps ruining his carpentry business as well as his relationships with family and others. People would naturally assume that he and Mary would have produced the, the soon-to-come child. And if word got out, and you know word would have gotten out that Joseph wasn't the father, things really could have gone south for this young lady. And yet, there was one person that she confided in. Didn't even have to say anything to her, cousin Elizabeth. And you remember how overjoyed she was? Overjoyed to the point that when the son who was within her, John, we call him John the Baptist, he was kicking and screaming when he heard the news as well. So there were some people who believed in what was taking place. Perhaps, though, even her family and her closest friends would have turned their back on her. And if you look at history, the Jews had some pretty dramatic ways of shunning people, even within their own families, ways that would not soon be forgotten. So we look at Mary here, and we have to understand, she had to be humble, but she also had to be tough. She had to be ready to face life-altering decisions from then on, and had to do it most of her life. But look at Luke 1, 46 through 55, and we'll see a young girl who was more than ready to trust in her Lord and what he had, the, the, the situation that he had for her. 
That was what God was really looking for, I think, in this young lady. Her faith in God was so very strong. And she remained humble her whole life. Plus, look at the positive influence that she had on that oldest son almost all of his life. You think how he was raised and the direction he was given by his mom, his earthly mom and dad. All of these things came into play. And don't you know, God knew exactly what he was doing when he had Mary and Joseph become the mother and, and of the, the earthly father of Jesus. Many today and in centuries past have cast aside the necessity of the virgin birth. Simply writing it off is just not that important in the grand scheme of things. Oh, there. That, that thought is around today. But I want you to listen to what the Westminster Confession, uh, our Westminster Confession of Faith says. This is from chapter 8 says about Jesus. They thought that it was important enough to make this statement. Hear this. The Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon Him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance so that the two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion. Which person is very God and very man? Yet one Christ the one mediator between God and man. Can you imagine how long it might have taken for them to be able to uh, compose this thought? What an incredible, succinct way of putting this, I think. People for centuries have tried to come up with human reasoning behind God's power. But isn't that the case in about every miracle that God ever performed? We're always trying to explain God away, making us bigger than God. You see, it's important that we believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Why? If we don't, it's stating that we merely believe in a normal man. In fact, we could toss out Christ's deity, His infallibility, and even to the point of throwing out the authority of the Scriptures for that matter. It would all be a lie. Can you see the vital necessity of believing in the virgin birth? Not in, G or in Mary as Jesus' mother, but in God's plan of bringing His Son to the world for the express purpose of His dying on the cross for our sins to save us from them. But being born in the way that He was, we can say that He is truly the Son of God. And as Jesus would term Himself at times, the Son of Man. When we say we believe in the virgin birth, we are in essence saying that we believe in the divine nature of Christ. We believe that God is His Father. The statement in, this statement in and of itself is problematical for many and has been since the beginning. Yet that's not new. Look at John 5.18 for instance. 
For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Which, if you think about it, is so ironic because isn't that what we try to do when we sin? Don't we try to make ourselves equal with God? I mean, come on. This is no different. You see, they crucified Jesus, not because they didn't comprehend what he was saying. They killed him because he knew exactly what he was claiming to be was true. And they wanted no part of it. They wanted no part of him. It's the same reason so many attempt to crucify him today with words, thoughts, and deeds. There simply is just no room in their lives for Jesus you don't understand what the writers of Scripture saw Jesus as God, you will not be able to comprehend much of what it has to say. Here's a, here's a for instance for you. If you take two points one mile apart from each other and you want to sh- draw the shortest distance between those two points, what would you do? You'd draw a straight line, wouldn't you? But if you're one-sixteenth of an inch off in measuring that straight, uh, straightness at the very outset, in other words, You're not perpendicular. You are one-sixteenth of an inch off. You are going to be hundreds of yards off of the mark by the time you've reached one mile. Hence, it is the same with not believing as basic things as the virgin birth. He not only lived 2,000 years ago, but Jesus Christ lives today. His love for us was and is so strong, He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And you can look through the Scriptures. You'll find it in Deuteronomy 31 and verse uh, verse 6 in the Old Testament. You will find it in Hebrews 13 verse 5 in the New. Why did God send His Son to be born of a virgin? Because we're helpless to come to Him on our own. Philippians 2, 6-8 even tells us that who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. You see we couldn't go to him on our own He came to us through a virgin. Simply put, in closing, John 3, 16 and and 17, y'all know these passages, tells us that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. The question then can be asked, in 1 John 5, 5. Who is it then that overcomes the world? John answers with, Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. As we close this morning, I ask you, do you really believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you again for messages as simple as as this is. We take this so for granted oftentimes. And yet, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, God the Son, was so 
very, very important to us. So bless us with a greater understanding of, of what this all means. Help us to understand so that we can go out into the world. And when we hear things like, well, virgin birth doesn't really matter, we can tell them, yes, it does. And here's why. Help us to that end. We ask you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our catechism question for the morning is question number 22. The question is, why must be the, the Redeemer be truly human? The answer is that in human nature, He might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin. And also, that He might sympathize with our weaknesses. Now time for us to come to the table. The table that is set before us, prepared for us by our Lord. It was done so many years ago. The neat thing I, I think about coming to the table as we do, and, and I hope you never take it for granted. Uh, I have people often say, well, you know, you do it this often and, and it's just not as important. Well, yes, it is. It's just as important. And we need to remember that. But I, I want you to, to remember one thing. This is the very same thing that Jesus' original disciples were able to do with Him. Think about that. You know, we, 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 we read the stories about the disciples and all, and, and perhaps maybe we try to emulate ourselves uh, with them and, and the things that they do. But you know, this is one time where we actually know we're doing the same thing they did. I mean, to me, that's cool. That, that is just something that is so extra special, at least in my mind. I hope it will be yours as well. But anyway, church, this table does not belong to uh, the, this church. It doesn't belong to the elders here or to me. or It doesn't belong to any one of us. Who it does belong to, though, is Jesus Christ. He is the one who gave us this table. And it is through His invitation to those who believe in Him as Lord and Savior of their lives, it is to them that invitation is issued. And so He says today, Come, be filled. Be filled spiritually. Let Come into My presence. And also, another thing too, as, as I've said before, we're about to partake of something that is a preview of what we are going to do in heaven together. You remember Jesus promised us that He would not partake again of the fruit of the vine until He partook of it with us in heaven. Now that, folks, is an incentive. An incentive for us to live for Him and to follow what He has done for us. And to this today, He issues this invitation to all of His followers, all of His brothers and sisters. He says, come. Come and be fed. Come to the table.